0: You will be finding with me Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse 11 this morning. Find that there. Let me just say a word of appreciation to Nathan, the choir, to you. Um, The music today, the worship so far today has been uplifting to say the least as a matter of fact, I'm sitting on the front row there, trying to gather myself um, enough to preach. I want to just keep going, <laughs> and maybe some of you have the same feeling. But you know, we've already got this in the bulletin, so <laughs> we're gonna do this. Um, if you found your spot there, why don't you stand with me out of the reverence for the reading of God's word this morning, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and following. The Word of God says this. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them came to his father. Father, give me this share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. And when he heard the music and the dancing, he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command. And you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fat and calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that you have is mine. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we do pray today that we would simply see the father of a prodigal recognize you for who you are and for who we are. And if nothing else today, Lord, just bask in your love and your grace, your mercy today for sinners. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get through this, guys, I promise. So far today, we have seen really... A parable, in, in most cases, these are treated as three parables, but it's really, it's really not. It's really one parable. The first two things are not parables. They're examples, right? Jesus is saying, if one of you loses a sheep, or if a woman loses a coin, and then we launch into the parable. But as you read through this, you get the sense of a rising tension, a tension that mounts. A guy loses one out of a hundred sheep. Okay, that's a big deal. A woman loses 10% of what's maybe all that she has. Okay, now you've got my attention. Now a father loses half of everything he owns and half of his sons. Now I'm on the edge of my seat. What happens next? What, what's going to become of this father? Is he going to find the son? We're meant to be just waiting for the answer and Jesus draws it out for us brilliantly here in this story we call the prodigal son now i know it's kind of a cheeky thing to do pastors well you you know it's a prodigal son but really it's the i'm gonna do that today i'm sorry i'm gonna do that i do think that this story might be better titled the father of a prodigal son because the father is the hero of the story is he not He is the only one who never sins, the only one we don't see any flaws in. He is the only one who's perfect in this story. Now, I know the story is ultimately about the older son, and and I'm going to give you that right up front. The story is about the older son at the end who is jealous of the father's mercy and grace to the sinful son. And if we're just sticking to the point of the story, that's the point of the story. But today, we're going to focus our attention... On the Father. We're going to focus our attention on the perfect, loving, gracious Father. And some of you here today may find yourself in the space of that younger son. Maybe you are that younger son wandering. Maybe you're the older son. We're not going to talk about that son a lot, but maybe that's you here today. But the truth is, every one of us can learn from the love of the gracious Father, the merciful Father who accepts, forgives his wayward child. And today we're going to see a few simple truths here. Now, don't panic. There's eight truths, okay? They're going to go... You know, my, in my preaching classes, they told me, never tell the congregation, don't talk to them about the time. It just makes them like... So I'm not going to tell you that it's going to go quickly and you'll be fine. I'm not going to tell you that today. I'm not going to tell you that we'll be out just in time as always. I'm just going to let you steal on that. But we will run, run quickly through eight truths this morning. Uh, beautiful truths. We could do 20 or 30 truths. There's so much here to unpack. So I want you to see these things. That the Father receives the ultimate offense. Secondly, He provides for His household. Third, He doesn't give up on His children. Fourth, He's slow to anger and compassionate. Fifth, he's eager to reconcile. Sixth, he loves us like we are. Seventh, he gives grace to rebellious children. And finally, he celebrates in repentance. So let's jump right in. Number one, the father receives the ultimate offense. Look with me at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share or the share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided it between them. What does it mean that the son asked for his inheritance early? Well, we have to put ourselves in the culture of this day. An inheritance was a big deal. It's not just a little piece of property on the outside of town or a bank account or something. This was a livelihood. It was a way of life. Without an inheritance, a man is likely to be destitute, have nothing. This was the place where you produced the food that you ate, the place where you earned money for your family. The place where your family lived was tied up in an inheritance. It was even a reputation that you inherited from your father. It was a big deal. But even more than that, there's something else we need to know about inheritance in biblical times, really, in all times. I'm going to read for you. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews chapter 9, it says, For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not enforced force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now that might seem obvious, but an inheritance takes place because someone died, right? It takes place after death. For years, a theologian and missionary, Dr. Ken Bailey, has been asking people all over the world the same question. He's been asking people about the prodigal son. How would you react? How would this go over in your village, in your town And the answers are almost always emphatically the same. The conversation goes something like this. Now, has anybody in your village ever made a request like this before? Never. Well, could anyone ever make such a request? Nope, impossible. Well, let's just say they did. What would happen? Well, the father would beat him, of course. Why? Well, that request means that he wants the father to die. He wants the father to die. And the prodigal son here is just going to the dad and saying, you know what? Uh, You're going to kick the bucket one day. Why don't you just go ahead and give me what's coming to me? I'm going to consider you as dead. I'm going to be gone anyway. And you know what? The father didn't beat him. It looks like he wasn't even angry. The son was allowed to make his own mistakes. Now, no doubt, The father in the story sounds like a decent father. He probably raised him well, tried to teach him well, but, you know, sometimes sons do not listen to their fathers. Now, there's no question that every one of us in this room today has offended our Heavenly Father. There is no doubt. There's no question. Each one of us has looked at the good gifts that God has offered us and turned our nose up at it, in exchange for something else that we think is better or we think is more expedient or we think maybe God is holding out on us and we have exchanged those things. We have left the God we love. We've wandered into a far country seeking our own happiness in our own way, listening to the wickedness of our own hearts. Each one of us has transgressed the laws of God. So have we offended the Father? Yes, unquestionably, we have. The father has received ultimate offense. Secondly, the father provides for his household. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread to eat? But here I perish with hunger. The father provides even for the lowliest of his household, much less the sons. Even the servants have enough to eat. now remember there's something about this story that's kind of unique, there's a famine in the land, it's not unique in that there's a famine, it's unique in that again when this story gets told throughout the world almost always when it's told by Americans or Westerners we forget one part of the story I've seen this in my own experience I had a seminary professor say this and I watched it happen as he proved it in class tell the story of the prodigal son two three people the same thing that every one of us left out the part about the famine now you go to another country where there's hardships and the famine is a big deal we just went through something kind of like this the worldwide pandemic and a lot of us found that food was scarce and supplies were scarce and And there was fear and there was trepidation and people were hoarding and gathering up in fear. And I'm not going to share with you my masks. I may not have enough for me. I'm not going to share with you my things. I may not have enough. And the famine times ten. It's like that. But guess who has food? Father has food. He always has enough. He has enough for everybody. Plenty, the Bible says. Even in a time of famine, the Father's house has plenty. Now, we might be terrified right now of losing a job or keeping a job or of another pandemic or the same thing going on, but we can always trust in the provision of the Father. The Father's house has plenty of food. Thirdly, the Father does not give up on His children. Look at verse 20. We'll be in verse 20 for a few points here. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father was anticipating his return. He didn't give up on him. Now, it's been said many times before, but I'm going to say it again. How does the father see him coming from a long way off? He has to be looking the father's not inside doing the books for the farm. He, he, he's not threshing wheat. He's not sitting on the front porch reading the paper, the Jerusalem Times. No, he is out scanning the hills, looking down the road. He, he saw the road where the sun disappeared over the horizon, and he is watching even now. How long later? We don't even know how long he's been watching. He is waiting for the Son to return, and our Heavenly Father is doing the same. He is waiting for you. No matter where you've gone, how long you've been gone, what you've been doing, He is waiting, watching for your return. It doesn't matter that you've been in a foreign country, a far way off, seeking all manner of vices. It doesn't matter what you've been up to. He is waiting for you to come home. And his eyes are daily scanning that horizon to see if your figure will top that hill. He's waiting for you. Forth, he is slow to anger and compassionate. He is slow to anger and compassionate. Again, verse 20. The father saw him and felt compassion. Now let's just stop for a minute. He did what? This guy who took half the money and left and spent it, as we have evidence here, on prostitutes and other things similar to that, like this guy he had compassion on? He had every right to be angry and bitter. He could have easily felt smug. That the son was dragging himself home like a beggar after wasting all his money. And I'll be honest with you, in my heart, I'm looking at this going, I'm kind of on the older son's side here. He should pay for something. Yeah, how does he get off that scot-free? If I'd been the father, how easily would it have been to just say, Hey, so, I see you're here, dragging your tail back in here after wasting all that money. How does that feel now, coming home to daddy? Bet you wish you'd never left, Huh? The Father gives none of that. He doesn't feel angry. He doesn't feel superior. He doesn't feel the need to gloat. He feels compassion. Compassion on the one who, let me remind you, just a short time before, figuratively slapped him in the face and saying, I wish you were dead, give me your money. Even after the son grasped at his inheritance, turned his back on his family, went to a foreign country, rebelled against the father, wasted his money. The father was glad to see him return. Does that strike a chord with you? Gosh, it does with me. Have you ever done anything? You don't have to raise your hand. You think to yourself, this is it. He's not going to want me back. Or how is He ever going to accept me back? Or maybe even He's going to accept me back, but He's not going to love me anymore. He's going to look at me sideways now. He has to let me back in because it's the rules, but He's not really wanting to love me. The way I ran from Him, the way I insulted Him, the way I wasted the the resources that He's given to me, the sins I've committed, but the Father doesn't just accept you back. He welcomes you back. And He's not mad. He's not hurting because of what you've done to Him. He's hurting because of what you've done to yourself. He wants to help you make that right. He wants to help you heal those wounds. And if you return, the Father will have compassion on you. He will not scold you and send you away. Return to the Father today. Promise you, he's waiting for you. Fifth, the Father is eager to reconcile. Just one word here, verse 20 ran. The Father ran to meet the Son. He didn't stand and wait, he took off and ran towards that sinner. Once the Father saw Him, once He was in view, He didn't walk, He didn't wait, He ran. Your Heavenly Father is not waiting, twiddling His thumbs, watching you crawl back. He will run to you. Even better, the human Father has to wait until He Sees the Son before He knows He's returning. Your Heavenly Father does not have to wait that long. He knows what's in your heart. When your heart begins to change, when you begin to make that decision, I am going to the Father's house, He runs to you and meets you where you are. Wherever you are. This normally dignified man throws off protocol, girds up his loins, and runs down that dirt pathway. One of the more moving images in all of Scripture, as I demonstrated earlier, getting a little choked up. Can you imagine what drove him? The joy, the relief, the love that compelled him to run to that long-lost son. Your father sees you. He sees you in the pigsty of your life And He's waiting on you to turn before He washes you with the water of the Word and accepts you. He won't meet you halfway. He meets you where you are. He'll come and meet you in that far country. And praise God, because I don't know sometimes if I have the strength to get there on my own. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't have to come all the way to God. He meets us where we are. Sixth, the Father loves us as we are. Not only does He meet you where you are, He loves you as you are. In verse 20, again, He embraced Him and kissed Him. Anybody ever spent time on a farm? Been around a farm? Drove by a pig farm? You get the picture here. This guy was living with pigs, and I don't think he stopped off for a shower on the way home. He was living with pigs, and to make it worse, he's walking home in the desert heat. He is no doubt incredibly filthy. Clothes are soiled and tattered, hasn't bathed in days. The smell must have been unbearable. Yet the father does not flinch. He doesn't run up to him and say, Okay, you need to take a bath first. Or, I'm glad to see you, but let's go to the creek and get some filth off of you. He runs and embraces him. Sometimes we tell ourselves that, don't we? I'm too filthy for God, I'm too bad. God might want to save me, but He can't stand the smell of me. He's not going to want to get near me. Much less the God who knows all and sees all, and He knows my heart, He knows exactly where I've been, He knows exactly what I've been doing. Maybe I need to clean myself up a little bit before I come. I need to straighten a few things out before I come. I don't want to come to God like this. What's He going to say? Shouldn't I wipe off a little bit of this grime before I approach the Father? Can I do a little bit of this on my own? This is the whole reason that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. So that He could reach out and touch you as you are and not wait for you to clean yourself up. Jesus cleans you up while you were yet sinners the Bible says while you were still in your filth the Bible says God loved you he reaches out and embraces you now this doesn't mean I can repent and live like I always have that's not what it is it's not a license for you to live however you want and just say well God doesn't care that's not what we're saying What we're saying is that God will help you get out of that pigsty. Whatever that is in your life. It could be greed or selfishness or legalism or a lack of faith or anger or a mean spirit or gossip or laziness. Any sort of thing. God can get you out of that. He will run to you and embrace you. You don't have to clean yourself up for the Father. Seventh. God gives grace. The Father gives grace to his rebellious children. Verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Sounds obvious, but the Father treated him like a son. We, if you've read the story before, that's kind of old hat, but, but think about what's going on here. This guy doesn't deserve to be a slave. He's about to come to the Father and beg Him to say, just please make me a slave. Earlier on, we saw what He probably deserves. He deserves a beating. He deserves punishment. He deserves whatever He gets. Being treated as a slave would be gracious. But the Father doesn't even hear of it. He doesn't let Him get the spiel out, right? He's practiced and he has he said to himself, okay, this is what I'm going to say. And he's about halfway through it, and the father just interrupts him bring the fatted calf. My son is here. When you repent and come to your father, he does not treat you like a second class citizen. He does not constantly remind you, yeah, that's good, but do you remember the time when? Or I know you're trying real hard, but do you know where I found you, right? God doesn't do any of that with you. It's gone, it's over. He treats you like a son. The older son got that message, didn't he? He said, what do you expect me to do? He's my son. I'm treating him like I would treat you. I'm treating him like a son. Those who've wandered so far and so long must think if I come home now, he's not really going to want me anymore. Maybe he's going to make me pay for what I've done. Again, that's just it. Jesus has already paid for what you've done. That's over. This free gift is relying on what Jesus did for us on the cross. He's paid for all of that. You don't have to pay for anything. The Father loved you that much. So that any sinner who comes to Him will be embraced with open arms. The father will throw his arms around you, embrace you, treat you like a true son, calling out, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. The sinner has come home. Which leads us finally to the eighth point, the final point. The father celebrates in repentance. Verses 23 and 24, the father celebrates in repentance. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. They didn't just talk about it, they did it. The father celebrates when a son returns and repents. And if you want to see a point nailed home in each of the three stories here, that is how they end a celebration. This is how this is where the parable is driving towards. Whoever you are, wherever you are, God is not just willing to accept you, not holding his nose and letting you back in, he is throwing a party. He doesn't wag his finger at you. He doesn't do what you really deserve throw you into hell to pay for your own sins and mistakes. He does the most unexpected thing. He celebrates. And why? Because the son who was dead is alive. The son, the daughter, who was lost is found. We were lost without God. We were dead in our sins. Every one of us in here, every one of you watching, we're either in the pigsty or we have found our way back home. This is the process of life, of the believer, the lost sons of God. When we were lost, Jesus came down to earth to redeem us and pay our debts. The dead son came to life again. How did he come to life? Look at what he did. How did he come to life? He was sitting in the pigsty first, and it occurred to him, I'm in a pigsty. I'm in a wretched condition. Look at where my decisions, where my sins have gotten me. And secondly, he recognized that the Father could save him. He looked to God and said, There is a way out. And third, he put his trust in the Father. He said, In my father's house, there's plenty of food. I know that. And if I go to him, he will accept me back. Even as a servant, maybe, but he will accept me back. Then he made up his mind, and he got up out of that pigsty, and he returned home. And the steps are no different for anyone today. It's the exact same thing. If you want to recognize where your sins have landed you in the filth, in the position you're in, sick and starving, hopeless, helpless, condemned. And then, secondly, if you recognize that there is hope in the Father's house, He has plenty plenty of food, plenty of forgiveness, plenty of love, plenty of salvation. In the Father's house, there are enough rooms for all. Third, if you believe, He will save you. Put your trust in Him. Know that if you come to the Father, He will save you. Have faith that if you believe in the offer of salvation, He will save you. It's not enough just to know it, but to believe it and to trust it. You've also got to be willing to get up out of the pigsty and give up that prodigal lifestyle. You see, there was a moment there where the, the, the son was in the pigsty probably thinking to himself, I'm going to get back on my feet and I'm going to get back to the party. You had to know there was a moment where he was thinking, this is going to pass and I'm going to get back to living the way I was living without dad, without my father, without my home, without the rules. At some point, he had to give up on that lifestyle and realize what it had gotten him. Repent and turn away. Turn away and find his way back home. Now the prodigal son, he knew the way back home because he walked there and got himself there. But do you know the way? Do you know the way to the Father? One time a man asked the question of Jesus, how do I know the way? And Jesus answered him really simply, I'm the way. If you're looking for a way to the Father, look no further than Jesus Christ. Follow Him home. He will take you to the Father. Put your hope, put your trust, put your life in the hands of Jesus. Follow Him home. You'll find the love of the Father. Humble yourself and come to the Father. I would ask you in repentance today. In just a moment... We're going to pray, and after that prayer, there'll be a time of response, and you you can do any number of things. Pray in your seats. You can come forward if you want someone to pray with you. If you want to talk with someone about what it means to come home to the Father and repent, I'll be waiting down front. Maybe you don't want to come down here today, but you want to talk. Come by the office. Myself or Pastor Matt would love to speak with you.